0: You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network.
1: You're listening to episode 321 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Colby Swandale is a Ruby engineer at Envato in Melbourne, Australia. Outside of work, he enjoys photography, traveling, speaking at conferences, and is also a core contributor to the Bundler, RubyGems, and RubyGems.org projects. Colby recently started a new project called Ruby API to help improve finding and reading Ruby documentation on the web. Colby, thank you so much for staying up late to to speak with me today.
0: (laughs) No worries. Thank you so much for having me on the show. This is actually my first podcast uh, uh, ever, so... Very nervous. I'm also on call as well, so I'm hoping my phone doesn't go off during the episode, but very excited.
1: I have a feeling our Mm -hmm. listener base completely understands where you're coming from. So let's go ahead and go forward. So Colby, what is your developer origin
0: story? So my entry into programming was actually uh, when I was in high school. I think I was 15 or 16 at the time. and for some odd reason my art class actually had some technical lessons so that revolved around like programming html sites um like learning uh adobe flash i think it was macromedia flash at the time uh and using action scripts to like program like flash games and animations and such um yeah and that was kind of my you could call it a gateway drug into uh, programming because I think I fell pretty much straight in love with it. And I think afterwards I started going kind of down my own road. So I did a lot of HTML at first and then slowly picked up uh, PHP. Uh, so sort of mess around with PHP a bit. Then I found out about WordPress uh, and thought it was like really cool that you could just download this whole entire blogging platform, uh, and pretty much customize it any way you wanted. Um, so I messed it with like PHP for a couple of years. And then I think during, uh, when I was in, uh, in Australia, we call it senior college, but I think it's more, I think in like American or international terms, it's, uh, still high school, but it's the equivalent to our year 12. Uh, I picked up, like, I got my first phone, which turned out to actually be an iPhone. And so when I immediately got home, I started downloading, like, the Xcode and started messing around with Objective-C. And then I think... I think I was playing around with Objective-C for about a couple of months, and then I found out my local uh, city council was running, like, a technology competition. And it was the competition was basically pretty much open to any idea around technology and kind of getting the idea to incorporate that into like the community and somehow and using technology to help people in the local community and I actually designed a a very small application that basically read uh, like an xml feed of local events that were happening around the city and I basically took that XML feed and put it on a map. And then uh, you, you could tap on like the, the pins on the map and then it will bring up like more information about like what the event was, things like where it is, what's the description, uh, any photos um, you could bring up. And then uh, I think I waited for uh, like two or three months and then I heard back I actually won that competition, which was really exciting. Um, and yeah I thought I actually really like programming this is something I want to do professionally. So I finished high school then um, I moved to Melbourne which is where I am currently located and I went to a trade school to do uh, basically an IT course Uh, and I did that for two years but then halfway through the first year I found a part-time local Uh, web a job that someone was hiring for. Basically, just someone uh, that had experience with uh, WordPress and another another PHP CMS system called Joomla. And basically, they were just looking for someone who knew the systems and could like design themes and add add a bit of functionality to some of the sites.
1: So I have somewhat of a similar experience in the fact that When I first started learning to code, I decided I was going to go to a hackathon and join a team. And we actually managed to win that hackathon, which I never saw coming. And so having that validation early on in your developer career, it, it's so gratifying. So good on you for enrolling into that contest and winning it. And I mean, I have messed around with Objective-C before. It is not an easy thing to learn and to grep So I give you a lot of credit for starting out with Objective-C. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a very... Uh, stark difference from PHP. And it definitely took a while to pick up.
1: Oh, for sure. So you mentioned that you, uh, at the first job that you did get some experience with Ruby. What was your first introduction to Ruby on Rails? Uh,
0: So my first introduction into Ruby on Rails is also my first introduction into Ruby. So uh, this place I was working at, uh, it's called Private Private Media. uh, And they're basically like an online publication they have different sites that revolve around like politics, business, uh, uh real estate and such. Um and they had an internal system that was built on Ruby on Rails version two, I believe. Uh that basically managed all the paying subscribers. And uh basically you could uh if anyone subscribed to any of the sites, that would go uh, into this Ruby on Rails application and you can manage the user through there. Uh, so the application itself was built by a consultancy shop. Uh, and then we picked uh, we then picked up the development ourselves. Uh, so <laughs> I think I was about six months into this job. And one day I come into the office and I just get slapped with this Ruby on Rails application that I had no idea even existed I had basically no experience with Ruby or Ruby on Rails. So it was like no idea what was happening. Um, But then uh, fortunately I managed to get some uh, basically paid learning time to learn Ruby and learn Ruby on Rails and actually bring someone in uh, for a consultancy to basically teach us Ruby on Rails. Um, And yeah, uh, I think we, I think we did like a pretty much like a crash course in about two or three days. Um, and yeah, learned, learned about, uh, Ruby on Rails and again, just, yeah, fell fell in love with basically like the simplicity of writing an application in Rails compared to designing like a site in WordPress or Joomla, which is a complete, completely mess.
1: I can't say that I've ever done it myself, but I give you a lot of credit. So as I mentioned at the top of the episode, you are a core contributor to many projects. And so I'd just love to hear, why do you contribute to open source so much?
0: introduction uh, into open source was basically a documentation patch that I made to the jQuery project. I basically found like a, just a small typo in their documentation I found their project on GitHub uh, and submitted a ver- and submitted like a one line patch, and I thought that was actually really cool. Uh, basically, I made a contribution to a really large open source project. This is actually something I, I want to do, and I want to like look more into. Then curiosity caught me, and I wanted to learn uh, like a really cool project. Uh, like a project that I liked in terms of like, hey, this this is actually like a, a project that seems fun. I want to learn more about it. So I think one of the first things I did was uh, go to one of the uh, Ruby conferences here in Australia and basically talked uh, to a person named Andre Arco, uh, who's actually the pretty much like lead of the Bundler project and the RubyGems project. And we talked a fair bit and I emailed in after the conference and thought Bundler was a really cool project. Its idea, like the idea of like managing dependencies, seems like a really cool thing I want to learn. And uh, curiosity, yeah, really caught the best of me. So I kind of like started poking around and thought, this project's actually really cool. I like learning how this thing works and figuring out how to like resolve dependencies and such. So I started uh yeah, submitting patches uh uh slowly uh and then more and more and then eventually I became a core developer uh on the Bundler project. But then I found slowly after time I wasn't contributing to an open source project because I thought it was cool. Um it kind of evolved to, I want to contribute to open source because I like working with people and I like, uh, working on tools that people use in their everyday jobs and I like talking about like what problems people have using these tools and how we can make their lives a bit better every day.
1: I love that. That is somewhat of a different answer than I've gotten before. So I love hearing your perspective. It does lead me into my next question. So what does it mean to be a core maintainer and a release manager for Butler? Mm. So many things I'm sure. Yeah.
0: (laughs) There's no, there's no single answer made contributions to the project in some way. It can be documentation, uh, it can be issues that's actually how i got into the bundler project was basically just going through the issue the issue list uh in the github uh, project for bundler and essentially just going through each issue and seeing like what i could do to help the situation um and also obviously like contributing code um it could be like new features it could be bug fixes um, any of the, any of those ways is a perfect way to become a core contributor to the Bundler project. And we try really hard to recognize that as well. Uh, I think we do have a, we do kind of have a tendency to not pay attention to people who are making like really good efforts to help, uh, keep the project alive and make sure, uh, that it's being well-maintained, but I think, yeah, to maintain not on a project such as Bundler. I think you just have to uh, be someone yeah, who is passionate about the project. Uh, now that I remember, Andre Arco did a really good presentation about how, I think it's titled, how to be a core contributor in 15 minutes every day. And it basically talks about how you can spend like 15 minutes per day uh, and basically become a core contributor maybe like a month or two just by following like a few simple steps of like just looking at an issue and going like hey how can I help make this project uh, a bit better or, we'll, ha- we'll definitely
1: link that in the show notes for sure so by being the release manager are you focused on coordinating the various timelines and making sure that they're all integrated and then almost being on call once you release a new version of bundler
0: yeah so at the moment I'm not the release manager for Bundler anymore. Um, that's currently being done by uh, core team member David Rodriguez. Uh, but yeah, at the time when I was the the release manager, you you basically have to coordinate uh, what essentially goes into each release, and depending on like what the release is. So if it's like a like a patch release, like, like if it's a bug fix, you're probably targeting like small fixes, maybe some documentation, uh, and shipping that. And, and then for like bigger releases such as like feature, feature releases. So you're probably going to be, uh, looking to coordinate shipping features, maybe some documentation and a couple of bug change, uh, bug fixes if you can. And then also like trying to get feedback from developers as well around like what changes you're going to make in like feature releases um, and such. And Bundle is actually a very special gem because it requires careful attention when you're preparing to make a release. Um, it's, one, it's like one of these projects that a lot of projects depend on. And if it does break, a lot of people uh, will let you know uh, quite passionately that it has broken. And uh, yeah, you have to be you have to be able to react to those uh, to that feedback quite quickly. Um, and so, during my time when I was the release manager, I was doing a lot of careful careful consideration into what changes I was making, and making sure that we understood any con- consequences that we were making to shipping any new features or any potential issues uh, that would arise if we're going to fix a bug.
1: So you actually had a lot of really good anecdotes around that from your Ruby Kaiji talk last year. So speaking of, and we'll definitely link that in the show notes, what are you most looking forward to with Bundler 3?
0: So Bundler 3 is going to be a release where we fix quite a lot of broken things. And a lot of things that we've been meaning to remove from Bundler for quite some time uh, I think the big thing coming out in Bundler 3 will be uh, a feature where we introduce uh, versions into the into the gemfile.lock. Um, if you uh, remember the the Bundler 2 re- release where we kind of broke a lot of people's uh, CI builds, uh, we shipped a small feature inside RubyGems that basically did a bit of magic um to determine what specific bundler version you wanted to load um and for bundler 3 we're basically going to be ditching that and instead ship uh versions into the gemfile.lock and that basically will let us make sure that bundler is backwards compatible with previous versions of the gemfile.lock and not break a lot of people's ci every time we release a major version
1: that's great i mean i i just feel that the stability around so many of the dependencies in the ruby community are just getting more and more stable so we appreciate all the work that you have put into bundler so we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor raygun Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Raygun is thrilled to launch the next chapter in their ongoing support for application performance monitoring, Ruby support for Raygun APM. Don't wait for users to report problems. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. They have end-to-end monitoring with features like detailed trace transactions, dashboards, user experience monitoring, and more. Raygun APM offers a seamless integration with the Heroku platform via Buildpack, so you can get all the benefits of APM for your Rails applications. To start your free 14-day trial, go check it out by visiting raygun.com slash RubyAPM today. Link is in the show notes. Thank you, Raygun, for sponsoring the show. So before we depart from talking about Bundler and RubyGems.org, I would love to ask you if you have any interesting stories that you would like to share with the listeners.
0: Yeah. So Bundler has a lot of scenarios that it has to take into account, uh, when people use certain aspects of the Bundler project. So one of the, the really interesting bugs that I had to deal with was basically, uh, a scenario where users were executing the bundle exec command inside of their test suite. And so they were trying to load Bundler within Bundler. And when Bundler shipped with Ruby as a default gem back in 2018, this caused a weird scenario where Bundler was trying to load itself in a place where it didn't quite exist. And essentially what was happening was Bundler was being told that it, the Bundler library itself was located in one part uh, of the user system by RubyGems when in fact it didn't ever exist there. And so that that issue took me, I think about a month to fully understand because there was a lot of complexities between Bundler and RubyGems trying to figure out which uh, which code had to be loaded correctly. Uh, and yeah, that, that was I think the most interesting bug I've come across, and then the other one, obviously, would probably have to be the Bundler two release, which is a bit of a situation of unfortunate circumstances. Which uh, you, you can watch my presentation at Rubikagi last year, uh, and the basic gist of it was that, basic about two years ago, we, so the. Bundler core team had this idea of having Bundler manage its own versions um, so that if you had like a Ruby on Rails project that was using Bundler 2 and then you had like another Ruby on Rails project that was using Bundler 1 and then maybe in the future you had like another Ruby on Rails project that was using Bundler 3 and so this idea was that basically uh, Bundler would just manage itself so that it would always load the correct version whenever you did like a bundle install. Um, but then the person that was leading that work um, kind of left the project a bit uh, just due to circumstances around his work and that code pretty much got left unmaintained. Uh, but then a particular subset feature of that work uh Got left in, in Rubygems, and unfortunately, that got shipped to users, and that was unfortunately enabled by default, and there wasn't really a really there wasn't really a way to turn it off either, and nobody really noticed because the feature only worked when there was multiple major versions of Bundler, and at the time there was only bundler one. And so this code was just happily doing its work and not really doing anything. But then as soon as we re- released bundler two, things got really, really weird for a lot of people because this code inside RubyGems was trying to figure out, okay, there's users uh, using bundler two, but the user doesn't have the correct version of bundler two installed. And yeah, I, I, in my presentation at Kagi, I kind of laid out uh, a lot of like the issues around what specifically happened, and it wasn't all just technical either. A lot of it was around communication with the with the public core team and our users, um, and some of the steps we could we could have taken to help lessen this situation. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't something we could easily fix because Ruby Gems was pretty much. Rubygems just ships to all the users by default. And there's no easy way to have all Ruby users upgrade Rubygems. And so we ran into a lot of issues around like trying to communicate to our users to say, hey, if you cancel this issue, this particular issue in Rubygems, this is how you fix it. And also just trying to get users to upgrade Rubygems Uh, is a bit of a complex situation because a lot of people just are not in control of their Rails environment. And so they just couldn't upgrade Ruby Gems.
1: Oh, that's so interesting. So among the many reasons I have asked you onto the show today, I wanted to ask you about the origin and uses of your new project, Ruby API. So first of all, what is it?
0: So Ruby API is a couple of things. Uh, the first thing that most people will notice is that it's basically the Ruby documentation that has a modern HTML theme that focuses on readability and accessibility. So it focuses uh, quite a lot on being on making the Ruby documentation documentation readable on desktop, mobile, and tablet devices. The second thing is that it's a Ruby on Rails application that consumes Ruby's source code and puts the generated documentation into a service called Elasticsearch. And Basically Elasticsearch makes the documentation uh, searchable and then I put a small search algorithm on top that optimizes a lot of queries that uh, users typically search for. So if you're searching for a method like 2i, for example, uh, Ruby API knows that you're probably looking for like the string class. Um, And we'll put that at the very top. So the second thing about Ruby API is that it's a Ruby on Rails application that consumes Ruby's source code and puts the generated documentation into a, a program called Elasticsearch. And Elasticsearch allows us to basically search the Ruby documentation, but then I put a tiny bit of, of a search algorithm behind it to make the search a lot more optimal. So it puts a lot of priority around searching the like core objects of the Ruby and uh, such as like uh, arrays, strings, integers, floats, decimals, and such, and so by doing that, we basically uh, create like a, a website that understands what the Ruby what the Ruby documentation is, and optimizes what a lot of people are looking for, and we built the application around trying to make users uh, get to what they're looking for as quickly as possible.
1: What was the use case that you were solving for? Is this something where you were having problems looking up documentation yourself, or you heard this from the community and just decided this was something that needed to exist?
0: Yeah. So Ruby API was born out of my frustration with the existing services that were out there. Um, I'm in no means attacking uh, the existing documentation sites out there, but I found quite, often that Google simply just doesn't understand the Ruby documentation. And if you search for particular things using Google, you get really strange results, um, especially around like particular like method names and such. Google just simply does not understand what you're talking about.
1: I agree with that. With my experience, I often, um, we'll get Stack Overflow answers above the actual documentation, which is really frustrating.
0: So one of the really cool things is that Ruby API is aware of what the Ruby documentation is. And it can tell Google specifically what it should index and what it should not index, and how to index particular things. And so we can optimize the SEO experience quite a lot using Ruby API.
1: Well, I want to thank you for your work on Ruby API. I have already bookmarked it and it is my go-to resource for Ruby going forward. So I'd love to know, Colby, what are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Rails communities?
0: I think Ruby and Rails has a very bright future. I think there's a lot of people in the community that are coming into Ruby and Rails for the first time and are very passionate about these projects. I uh, attend conferences where... Half of the audience is attending the conference for the first time. And also they've just started out like a new job and they've just come from university and they're really interested in Ruby on Rails and Ruby. So I think this, I think Ruby, I think like the, the idea that Ruby is dying is completely untrue. I think Ruby and Rails are both very much alive. And there's a lot of people behind that that are willing to take uh Ruby and Rails into the into the future. I think though going into the future, we need to try and get people to contribute to a lot of these projects that people depend on in Ruby. Uh, around, especially around like uh, Bundler, RubyGems, RubyGems.org, uh, even the Rails project, even the Rails source project, I think we have to uh, as a community, current custodians of a lot of these projects, we have to make sure that we are welcoming that contributing to projects is easy uh, so that we can hand these these projects off to the future uh, contributors of Ruby and Rails.
1: So Colby, how can listeners follow you and support your work?
0: Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at OceanicPanda. I am colby Swander on GitHub. Uh, If you're looking to support my work, I am currently being paid by Ruby Together to maintain Ruby Jams on learnrubyjams.org. It'd be really cool if you could get your business uh, to support Ruby Together because they support me and a whole bunch of other developers to make sure that a lot of these projects that these businesses depend on for their day-to-day operations still continue to run into the future.
1: That's fantastic. Well, as I mentioned throughout the episode, and I'm going to say it again, thank you for all of your work. We, as a listenership, appreciate everything that you do. You've done so much for the community, and we're excited to see what the future brings.
0: Thank you so much